Hi everyone. Um, so this is the um, this is the scenario accompanying the second scenario accompanying the ischemia knowledge video or podcast. Uh, as always, just for those of you who are listening via podcast, there are some images uh, with this scenario. So please do log into the website later at your convenience to uh, see the uh, images that are accompanying the scenario. Over to you. Thank you. Okay, so the scenario is that a patient presents with chest pain to the emergency department. Here is his ECG. Please talk me through what the ECG shows and what you'd want to do next. So this is, uh, this is an ECG in sinus rhythm and the most striking abnormalities uh, are ST depression and in V2 to V4 with a dominant R wave in B2 and B3, uh, suggestive of a uh, posterior stemi near the start, the beginnings of semester elevation in lead three as well. Uh, so my next steps are to clinically assess this patient um, uh, in an AC fashion with a uh, bedside echo as well, as well as to do a, a posterior ECG to confirm my suspicions. Okay, uh, so talk me through how you practically do a posterior ECG. So you do a posterior uh, ECG by getting rid of uh, the, the chest leads V4, V5, V6, uh, and replacing them with V7, 8, and 9, which are on the back of the chest or on the left. Uh, so V7 would be uh, uh, on your back in the middle auxiliary line. Uh, V8 would be tip of the scapula uh, on the back, and then the V9 would be at the left sternal edge, again, on the back. And you'd mark them as such uh, on the ECG. Okay, so here is the ECG after uh, the posterior ECG after you've done that. Uh, can you describe to me uh, the changes and how you um, or what you see and, and how you would subsequently manage the patient? So this ECG does confirm uh, a ST elevation in V7 and V8. Uh, so this is posterior STEMI, and he's also this is an inferior posterior STEMI because now he's got uh, quite noticeable ST elevation to in two and three uh, and AVF, so an inferior posterior STEMI. So most importantly, I'd be activating the primary PCI pathway um, as well as simultaneously making sure the patient is stable um, uh, by assessing in A to E format uh, with urgent, blood, blood, uh, urgent bedside investigations, including a blood gas, uh, as well as a V-scan um, before getting the patient ready for the lab if my consultant was uh, if my consultant was agreeable. Okay, uh, so you you mentioned to the consultant um, uh, the case, and he's asked you to consent and ready the patient for primary PCI. Talk me through how you would actually do that. So for primary PCI, um, it's a it's an emergency scenario uh, where the patient can deteriorate quite rapidly. So I'd want to make sure defibrillator pads were on. Um, I would. Otherwise, uh, assess the patient and deal with any complications uh, of their MI, i.e. if they're in heart failure, try and stabilize them in preparation for uh, angioplasty. And I would also then think about uh, other, other things to prepare the, prepare the patient. So we need to make sure he's on loaded with dual antiplatelet therapy. Uh, we need to look at, feel the right radial pulse to check, see if this can be uh, radial access. We need to also uh, ask the nurses to prep the groins uh, in case we need to go femorally or he needs anything such as a temporary pacing wire as well. Um, 
And then the next steps would be to, importantly, through this, keep the patient abreast of what's going on, and then as you, uh, and then consent the patient. So I would discuss with the patient that he's having uh, an, a heart attack at the moment, um, and that this could be fatal, and that the recommended treatment was angioplasty, uh, which we'd do in the next, within the next hour. Um, the uh, discussing about what the treatment involves uh, and the importance of taking um, being compliant with medical therapy. Afterwards, if there are any worries about this, I'd flag this up to my consultant and I'd just take a very brief history, making sure I knew about any bleeding complications or any other very important medical comorbidities. And then the actual consent proper. Obviously, I've talked about the benefits and I need to speak about the risks as well. Um, so the risks for angioplasty can be grouped into peripheral risks, um, uh, peripheral more common risks, so things like bleeding, uh, bruising and infection around the right radial access sites, if that's uh, the access that we use. Uh, and the more serious but rarer risks, um, such as uh, damage to the heart, uh, damage to the heart, stroke, lungs, and, and death. Uh, and these are less likely, but uh, important complications to be aware of. But I would stress to the patient that these chance of these complications is far lower than the uh, risk of complications if we didn't go ahead with angioplasty and this has potential to be fatal if not treated. Um, and I would, I would definitely quote certain uh, higher risks than you would for normal planned elective, elective angioplasty because this is uh, a primary PCR situation. Okay. Um, now you mentioned about activating the pathway. Um, Talk me through who's actually needed in the cath lab team and their roles. So the people needed for the cath lab team are an operator and a second operator. Um, so it could be a consultant and a registrar, uh, and that would be the operator and the second operator respectively. Uh, then you need a, um, a cardiac radiographer. Um, they're important to giving uh, correct images during the case. Uh, the cardiac physiologist may help uh, keep you abreast of any, uh, any deterioration, both arrhythmically uh, and also hemodynamically, uh, as well as a nurse, um, a nurse that will help you get the, all the medications uh, that you might need for the case. And in cases of very unwell patients in a prime PCI setting, as well as that team, you might also need the anaesthetic team as well. Okay, you mentioned the anaesthetic team. Uh, could you identify any red flags where you may need to escalate for anaesthetic support? Yeah, so I think if a patient's uh, becoming hemodynamically unstable, um, you would need to definitely anaesthetic support for the uh, cath. The other situation is if the patient's um, unstable from a respiratory point of view, are they going to form an edema, and you might need to consider uh, CPAP plus minus actually intubation. Um, uh, and if, if you're going to cardiovascular the patient, uh, for example, if they've got BT, if it's an emergency, you just have to go ahead straight away and do it. But uh, it's very useful to have the anaesthetic team there. So if the patient's doing uh, quite frequent runs of BT and you're worried that this patient might need to uh, cardiovascular or become more unstable, then you definitely have the anaesthetic team there with okay. you. Um, so you mentioned about doing a bedside echo. Um, so here's an image, a still uh, from your bedside echo. Could you describe to me what you see? So um, this is an April four chamber view. And the most striking abnormality is that you've got a right ventricle that is 
much bigger than the left ventricle, um, which could be indicative of acute right ventricular failure, um, which would fit with the inferior posterior stemi. Okay, uh, so um, in the setting of um, uh, ACS, um, how does uh, the management differ if there is acute RV failure compared to LV failure? So acute RV failure um, gen generally needs filling, uh, whereas acute LV failure uh, responds far better to inotropes. Um, so those, that's the two different ways I've managed at COTing patients. Okay, so you have your, you're with your patient um, and you're outside the cath lab, uh, the patient's uh, in a monitored bed. Uh, you step away, the nurse then brings you back and is concerned that the patient's deteriorating, specifically they're becoming more hypotensive. Talk to me about how you'd assess and manage this patient. So if I've got a patient with an inferior posterior STEMI with known RV failure that's deteriorating, I'd obviously assess this patient in an ATE manner, but the most important thing is having a, a structured approach. So I'd think about the possible causes for this patient deteriorating with the most likely cause being structural, i.e. RV failure, but also wanting to think about other things uh, such as complications of MI, uh, such as cardiac, cardiac tamponade, uh, which, and less rarely uh, with RV failure, if it gets something such as VSD, but unlikely given the territory of the infarct. Uh, so a bedside echo, and then also think about other complications that could happen, uh, such as uh, rhythmic complications. So looking to see because there are quite frequent runs of VT on the cardiac monitor or any other arrhythmias um, as well. The, uh, and my assessment will involve a blood gas, a bedside echo, uh, and if it is RV failure, as I suspect, I would, in the acute setting, try and fill him uh, with uh, IV, IV, IV fluids and normal saline. Uh, and more importantly, I'd let my consultant know that this patient may be deteriorating and he might need the lab sooner rather than later. And if he wasn't responding well to fluids, um, or I was concerned, I'd also be letting the anaesthetic team know that we might need their support, uh, both with this case and for the subsequent angioplasty. Um, okay, uh, fantastic. That's the end of the scenario. Great. Thanks very much.